hope you're listening. Anybody who's got wax, you can clean it out now. Because I don't want you to say you didn't hear. Hello again, and welcome to Farmerama. This month we're knee-deep in lambs, or, well, Nigel is, as you can hear in the background. So we'll be catching up with him later in the show, in his report from the Farmers for Action March in London. This week we have some reports from the Soil City event in Glasgow. We pay a visit to the greenhouses at Hankham Organics, and we check in with Hannah, who brushes the soil from her hands just long enough to have a chat with Sheila Martin in Dagenham. Last month we heard for the first time from Keisha Crawford-Avis, and we're delighted to welcome her back this week for a second report. This time, she tells us about a Scottish programme for shepherding the next generation of rural leaders. Rob Doig. I am a potato farmer essentially, although I work for a company that does potato breeding and innovation. It's, uh, it's been a really valuable tool for making you uh, um, re-examine your attitude to yourself, your staff, your customers, uh, your business as a whole, uh, where you sit in the network of everything. And um, so uh, it's very challenging it's been challenging. I think it's maybe if there's been a surprise at all, it's been how intense it's been. They don't waste a single minute of your time, um, but it's been immensely rewarding. And this is something rural areas need. Oh, I think it's sort of bringing the, the sort of leadership and business uh, uh, management issues that maybe other industries, especially big corporations, maybe do a bit more habitually, but you don't get access to when you're uh, quite often one-man businesses, two-man businesses, small, really small. I mean, to talk about small, medium enterprises, but most farms are three, four, five, six staff, and uh, it gives you access to uh, a, a forum to uh, to build your skills at managing those teams that you wouldn't get access to. Certainly, I don't think there's ever been access to that kind of thing in a rural context before. My name's Jane Craigie, and I was on the Scottish Enterprise Rural Leadership Programme in 2011-12. There's so much that I think is, is wonderful about what it achieves, but I think probably the most important thing is that the people who have been on the Rural Leadership Programme think differently about how they can build their businesses, how they can engage with their communities, and how they can deliver more. If you listen to um, a lot of farmers, and and particularly now when prices are very, very depressed, um, it's very natural to to hunker down, to to think about... um, how are you going to pay your feed bill? How are you going to, you know, how are you going to get your milk price up? It's really, really easy to do that. But if you, if you look at certainly through, through my travels and through the rural leadership program, you see people that think, okay, I've got to do something different. Out of adversity, hope springs, and opportunity develops. And so often we see that, and and I've seen it more amongst rural leaders than any other sector in agriculture and the rural community. For me, I think probably first and foremost because contacts, my network is so important. It, it's really helped me improve my network. It's, um, it's improved my profile, but it's also improved my knowledge of how the rural community really works. And in Scotland, that's not just about farming, which is the area I'm involved in. It's about tourism. It's about food and drink. It's about energy. It's about managing and embracing what our landscape has to offer. There's so many facets that are wonderful about our rural economy. And I think the Rural Leadership Programme um, allows all of those um, people and businesses that are involved involved in the rural economy to, to really work together and make their communities and Scottish economy blossom. Thank you, Keisha. 
If you want to find out more, we'll make sure we have all the details shared on the Facebook page. At the end of this, Keisha let us know that the most important thing she got out of this was the realisation that no matter how successful someone may look, whatever that means, it's rarely a reflection on how that person feels in themselves. We all need to constantly learn about ourselves and the world around us in order to move forward. And that's what we're all about at Farmerama. <laughs> St. John's work held. Fuerven Dietach, the Snackerel Spring. Place names take root wherever we dwell, as Ken marks, revealing the knowing eye of the crofter, stalker, or forager, who categorized hills and woods and mapped transhumans, the summer walking. Esen and Ari, the limb touching the grazing. Names stay still, the horizon recedes. Knoch the wildfire now. The tang of smoke driven away long ago, but the fire keeps on burning in the name. For growers, it's all hands on deck as it starts to get lighter and warmer day by day. Hannah headed back to Growing Communities Farm in East London to catch up with head grower Sheila Martin to get her tips for the season ahead. Movie star manure and all. In here, as you, we've got all our seedlings, <clears throat> and we've been planting out uh, quite a lot already. So we've got tomatoes in the ground. We've got um, a lot of salad, because we grow a lot of salad, which goes to restaurants and into our organic box scheme. Um, what else have we got? Uh, we're planting out beans, um, and we've got... Yeah, we've got uh, thousands of tomato plants because we overplanted them. And have yeah. you made any decisions with varieties this year that are different um, to before? Yeah, well, we've gone for the ones which are going to be the most prolific and also with the most best flavour because um, we have used a lot from our safe seed with a lot of interesting varieties, but some of them don't produce very much. And because mm -hmm. we've got a production kitchen here this year, we're going to be processing a lot of them, so it doesn't really matter so much what they look like, it's what they taste like and how many we have of them. So that's the focus this year. Um, that's interesting. Yeah, so yeah. is quantity and flavour over fancy looking? Yeah, we'll have a few of those, but they, you know, it sounds like we're trying to do mass production, but it's really just about making the most efficient use of our time and what we have available. And um, have you done anything with the beds there? I did any additional things for the tomatoes? Yes, we have. We got a great big shitload of shit arrived <laughs> this <laughs> <Brilliant>. <laughs> um, from one of our um, it's an organic grow, uh, dairy farm in um, East Sussex, which had a f film made about it that went to the Sundance Film Festival called The Moo Man. And so we've got a great big pile of Moo Man poo at, at the top. So we've uh, got movie star poo. Yeah, we have indeed. Yeah, and tw 22 tonnes of it. Um, and it's all being put into the 
in with our tomatoes, so that will re- increase their nutrient and nitrogen uh, content. So we, yeah, we've got superstar poo in our <laughs> in our fingers crossed for superstar tomatoes. Absolutely, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now Ben recently stopped off at Hankham Organics, one of only a handful of organic glasshouse growers in the UK. The team there grow a variety of veg, particularly leaves, and distribute them in a box scheme. But it's been a real labour of love and gruelling hard work to rebuild the site from the dilapidated state that it was in four years ago. It's been, um, it's been a glass house and horticulture site for probably 100, about 100 years, we reckon. And that was a glass house that's now all clad full of sports cars. That's our landlord's, not mine. <laughs> Is that that still the same structure? Same structure, clad. yeah. He clad yeah. it and concrete around the edges. Yeah, um, right. The um, planning people first said that was all right, and then they came and looked and went, yeah, these are a bit thin, and you'd have to put concrete around every single one of them. And so by the time we finished it all, he, he decided it would have been cheaper to just flatten it. And, but there you go. Um, there used to be a concrete glass house, literally made out of concrete, steel and reinforced concrete, in the patch just uh, between us and the neighbours. The area, the green area in front with the broad beans was nearly all cloches, like uh, glass cloches, right, traditional yeah. old glass yeah. cloches. Where our canteen on with canteen is, is the old boiler house. There was a big chimney in the middle of the site. <coughs> Obviously all got too expensive and everyone went out of business. There was a massive, uh, well actually it was only half acre plot, but it was a single span glass house. I don't know if anybody knows the business, architectural plants. They've got the same one. It was designed by a NASA guy who built aircraft hangars designed to have no internal um, supports, so all the weight was on the outside and it was tied in by a sort of um, central, uh, central beam. And uh, that was really impressive and we really wanted to use that, but it was just ridiculous, the, the maintenance costs of that and the healthy, health and safety considerations of getting up and replacing glass in uh, the 19, <coughs> sort of 90s and uh, teenies were a lot more than they would have been when they built it. And, there's miles of seen pictures of people in flares from the sort of 70s <laughs> up there just on ladders. It, you know, it's literally, uh, I think the, the highest point was 65 foot. And... But the, to cut a long story short, there's just constant flux of buildings coming down and stuff, and that concrete is a reminder that a lot of stuff has come down and just had nowhere to go and the expense of trying to get rid of stuff as the, the costs of maintaining it are becoming prohibitive to us um, in terms of what we're getting out of it. At some point between now and 10 years, we're probably have to kind of think very carefully about uh, whether we put it down and put up another one or get the landlord to put it down and put up another one and then pay an extortionate rent. Um, so there's a lot of kind of head scratching to do, um, but you know, we're pretty committed to the site and what we're doing, so we're hoping we can find some way of moving on through it. Um, in some ways, the Hankham site is not so unusual, particularly for an English farm. But I just thought these descriptions were powerful. And it's really got us thinking about all the different parts of the world where people are trying to make a living from the land in one way or another. And if you know of any farms in interesting or surprising places, then please do let us know. We, we all, we're always really interested to hear where you're listening to us anyway. Ben was actually on site for the Organic Growers Alliance, AGM. And he caught up with Kate Collins to hear more about the ins and outs of why she's a member. Okay, so I'm a member of the AGA because when I started out, I knew a little bit, but not very much. So I thought the best way of learning some more would be to meet other growers, 
and steal all their knowledge basically um, and I can do that through meeting them at events and the forums getting lots of information by asking direct questions and having lots of different growers give me their different opinions on how to do something and then there's the amazing organic grow magazine as well with lots of technical articles showing you how to do things different opinions so um, yeah it's just huge amounts of information basically Karen and Dave, the stags Karen. Bog Namuch, the sows Bog. A name is a place and its absence, Altavadi. The wolves are playing by Altavadi. The wolves are gone, the burn flows on. A culture that is considering the reintroduction of the wolf, the lynx, the wild boar may also wish to consider reintroducing their place names. Keep Vad, the root bog of the wolf. Open Jar Collective is a co-op made up of artists and designers who strive to empower people to debate the future of our food systems. They launched Soil City at Glasgow International Festival. Clem Sanderson explains. Open Jar Collective is a group of artists who use food as a lens to view the world. We're based in Glasgow and there's a really flourishing community growing movement in Glasgow but there's also a lot of derelict and vacant land and we're quite interested in how uh, that land has often been written off as, as valueless because it may be contaminated from former industrial use. Um, and if, if any growing happens on that land, it's normally in raised beds and imported soil. And we started to really think, what, what would this city look like if soil was valued as a collective resource uh, rather than land only being valued in terms of its development um, potential for building on um, and so we really wanted to start looking at people's relationship to the land in the city um, and not only think of these sites as wastelands uh, but as a whole range of having a whole range of uses. Through Soil City we're trying to engage with communities all over the city and really reconnect with land and with nature and with the soil itself exploring the soil um, and looking at how soil provides nourishment, not only through food growing, but also just through connection to nature and wildlife and biodiversity. So we're doing a whole range of different activities, from earthworm surveys to identifying plants and animals and invertebrates, uh, and also talking to people, creating a space for conversation about the future use of land, which may lead towards food production, it may lead to... Uh, phytoremediation projects where we try and remove contaminants from the soil and we're seeing this as a long-term project uh, where we can really think about land use in the city. We're just trying to explore that that tension really I guess between the idea that urban populations need to be fed by land outside of the city and where are there models where we can look at really upscaling our urban food production.
FarmHack is a community for those who embrace the long-standing farm traditions of tinkering, inventing, fabricating, tweaking and improving things that break. And the seed of Farmarama was actually born at the first ever FarmHack in the UK last April. As part of Soil City, the wonderful Severine introduced FarmHack and what it takes to organise an event. Rebecca Chan was there for Farmarama. The farming life can be tough especially if you're a young farmer just getting started. FarmHack is a worldwide community of farmers working to make this process a little easier and less isolating. The community gathers around building and modifying tools. People share their hacks on the website and in person with hundreds of people attending their meetups in the States. Severin Vanchana Fleming is one of the founders of the project and with the movement now picking up speed in the UK, she came to Soil City in Glasgow to share her experiences and to talk all things tools. So they're basically these little clusters of technology solutions and tool ideas that have to do with the common problems of small farms. So there's different like camps of tools. There's a lot of tools around Arduinos, which is like an open source little mini robot that can be programmed to do actions like send you a text message when your greenhouse is too hot or send you a message if your fence, your cattle fence is down and there's kits uh, to convert tractors to electric. And so that's really nice. And you can have a solar-powered tr- tractor. Then there's a bunch of equipment that's around milling and grain processing because grain processing is another area where it's gone gigantic and grain processing has become one of the major points of corporate control in our food system. Food sovereignty is a huge part of what FarmHack is about putting the power to make decisions about food growing back into the hands of small-scale farmers who aren't backed by multi-millionaire investors. You said there's a, a big investment in farming technology at the moment, but what you're talking about, I sense, is very different to that. Yeah, well, we talk a lot about appropriate technology, and um, there is a startup sector in ag technology, but that startup sector is often oriented, if it's got money behind it, and it's you know elaborate tech, it's often oriented towards the being purchased by the large players in the sector. And those large players are chemical companies and tractor companies. You know, one of the big articles that came out last year in, in Wired magazine was that uh, farmers are not allowed to get under the hood of their tractors anymore because it's all proprietary. It has to go into a dealership. You have to have a fob. So there's, uh, there's major issues to do with food sovereignty when you're not allowed to repair your own tractor. I can imagine that tech and design and farm hack would really appeal to younger farmers. I wondered how it works with uh, linking up older farmers, how older farmers are responding to it. Well, younger farmers are the ones with less money, so that's a a powerful incentive for invention. Um, The older farmers often have a lot of equipment and often have a lot of tools, you know, like a, a shop on their land where they have been tooling fixing their machinery for a long time and have a lot of skill and knowledge and experience and just mechanical intuition, which they many times are excited to share. So part of the role of the organizer and the social work that is involved in this is to do with setting up the circumstances and making the hot soup appear on time and and getting the word out to help those new farmers get in connection with and access to and dialogue with 
the older and experienced farmers. With the amazing success of the first UK farm hack in Devon last year, I asked Severin what she thought the future would hold for the movement in this country. I know even in normal conventional agricultural circles, they're talking about only 100 more harvests, that the soil health in this country is declining, plummeting, that the soil is ill, the soil has been abused and misused, and one of the great projects of, of humankind is to heal and, and, and repair the health of our soil. Obviously, organic agriculture is one of the primary tactics and many of the people in our community are very, very motivated to get into agriculture for the precise reason of repairing the land and repairing our relationship with the land and farming properly and sustainably, like in a way that will be sustainable, that will sustain us. So that shouldn't only be a counterculture. That's to, that really is for everyone. When it works, it makes for good friendships, friendships based around good work to make good farming possible. We know many of you have already heard of it, especially those of you listening in the U.S. But we really need to spread the word so more farm hacks can happen up and down the U.K. Relative, the juniper spread, and Cookson fell, the alder burning. Craig and Darach, the oakwood crag. Coral Ewish, the Scots pine curry, Drummond Shailach, the, the willow ridge. Place names aid habitat restoration. Finally, Nigel headed to London for the Farmers for Action March late last month, billed as a celebration of farming. Dear Prime Minister, you may be perplexed as to why Farmers for Action have brought farmers and supporters to London today in the form of a march. We know that you are fully aware of the serious situation being experienced by virtually all sectors of the farming industry. Um, what, do, what cargo do you have aboard this we've got, trailer? We've got a Jersey cow and a calf. And we've got two Hampshire sheep with us as well. I am sure you would agree that people who have given their life to producing food for the British population and who have contributed financially to our treasury certainly deserve to know where their destiny lies. To march to number 10 Downing Street okay. and you know we're all basically showing our support in British agriculture. We're here today representing every single sector, not dairy, every single sector. Why? Because a cereal producer with a cost of production of 130 and sell it for 90 doesn't work. For a pig farmer, a sheep farmer, a beef farmer, all have to earn a business a profit. Mainly stems from the supermarkets just driving down the prices, cuts our margins. The problem is we don't, we have too much product coming in from Europe and all over the world, which is, we need some of it, but we don't need all of it. It's oversupply. Oversupply. Milk is an oversupply. Beef is an oversupply. We're bringing far too much of everything in, and we need to control it. And we need to have a total food security, and that's why British is best, because we, can, we can't control what comes in. Red Tractor is what it's all about as well. It helps the public to understand that if something con carries the Red Tractor, it means it's made 
and produced and farmed in Britain. I do not want to walk through a graveyard and look at gravestones reading, rest in peace, British agriculture. I believe that there is no point in looking back. We must continue to move forward and increasing our responsibilities for our produce and strengthening relationships with our buyers. We also need a government who will listen to us. And that is the reason why we are in London today. People don't realise what work goes into producing the food that they eat and um, how much effort it takes to grow food, whether that be crops or whether that be livestock. People don't realise. We all need to stick together. We all need to work with each other. We don't have to get in bed at night with each other, but we need to work together as an industry. Fair trade should start in the UK rather than... It's very important to go international with fair trade, but I think we do need to start in the UK before we go mm-hmm. elsewhere. Food is too cheap, far too cheap at the moment. We throw too much away. If food was more expensive, less would be wasted. Innovation is what we need, and this, future, and this will be the future of our British agricultural industries. Let's work together, let's encourage each other, and let's respect guidance from our peers. Moya Nankib, the root moss. Moya Tebech, the eerie moss or the ghostly moss. A name can hold on to a ruin or patch of hillside, but a name cannot hold on to nothing. Lyrical excerpts dotted throughout the show today are a sneak peek from the Land Rights Night at Soil City, crafted by Scottish artist and poet Alec Finlay. They are an eco-poetic guide to Scottish landscapes, based on place names and their meanings, which illuminate lost ways of life and questions our future relationship to the land. Place names describe a vast bioregional network a blend of concrete realities and totemic symbols. Wildcats and wolves, pine woods and birches, rock and ling. From a grasp of the meanings that names hold, there follows place awareness. Populating the wilderness of heather and rock with new colours and textures, biotic relationships, lore and records of past use and the potential of future use. When you see a flush of green on a heather moor, look for the bumps of an old shilling. There were people here in the summer. And there was cowshed. The soil was once tended. Ruya this clear, the broken heart summer pasture. Noch ruya nahan hunsha. Noch ruya nahan hunsha. The one night summer pasture now. Names remind us how the peopleless wilderness was once tended. They offer a guide to the stewardship of the land, 
can hear more from Alec and the Soil City Adventures in our field report from the event, which will be coming very soon. We're kind of excited about that. And thank you for listening. We couldn't do this without you. See you next time. Bye. Bye.